Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Gyozium Suichmir. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Azerbaijani mm. for My Eye Does Not Drink Water. Hmm. Okay. Or roughly equivalent to, uh, to being suspicious, to feeling that something fishy is going on. <laughs> uh, I, I, amazingly, I don't have a news story or anything to relate to this, but, you know... It's something that happens a lot in Formula One. Fishy stuff going on. And they are <laughs> driving beside the water. Mm. Kind mm-hmm. of. That's yes, their, I also just really like the phrase. So when there's a good phrase, I, I, I got to say it. I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Very good. I cannot wait for your book of international idioms to finally come out. It feels like you've been working on it for a number <laughs> of years now. And uh, I, for one, cannot wait to uh, recap just all of the terrific expressions I've learned over the years, which will help me in all of these countries when I go to them to speak like some sort of alien man who's a- only able to tell stories like in that one Star Trek episode. That's right. Yes. Uh, someone does every year clip out uh, the phrases and make a <laughs> yes. supercut of them. Uh, on Twitter, so shout outs to them. Uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Oh, not too bad. Uh, just came off another good motorsports weekend with the farewell uh, IndyCar race at Belle Isle. Was it the last one there? Yeah, they're going to a uh, Detroit street circuit next year. Oh, um, okay. And by the way, Danny's image, for me at least, is now uh, confetti. Uh, beautiful AV confetti. Oh, and cool. Discord. Um, lovely but yeah so like so Belle Isle where they've raced for ages for as long as I can remember uh, yeah. this was the last year which is a bit of a bummer uh, it looked like one reason they want to get away from it is it, it is old and the concrete is buckled but it's hilariously buckled and therefore <laughs> maybe is good uh, because you know it's rare you have an off camber straight but it's interesting right. to run a car over an off camber straight at speed I bet we're gonna have a lot of bumps on this street circuit as well. Baku, it's a it's a normal ass road. I know they resurfaced them every year. Now, hey, you pretty never much. know when a manhole cover is going oh my to God. launch itself. This might be Especially is this maybe the era. most? Yeah, this you're right. This might. I feel like you're right. Yeah, maybe Baku is maybe the most treacherous for for manholes, etc. There's a lot of there's been a lot of that and crashing under safety car. Uh, if you're new to this podcast and don't understand all of these references, a very warm <laughs> welcome to you. And we have a, uh, a, for, a, a preseason primer episode just for you that assumes no prior F1 knowledge, explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, it's episode 178. 
Uh, also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. So what's going on this month, Danny? Uh, the media pass holders can now celebrate the end of COVID. <laughs> No, well, not really. But celebrate uh, the the end of not seeing us in the same meat space by checking out a terrific... Can we we just, like, make sure not seeing us? Just hit the separation on that a little better. I'm so so sorry. Not seeing myself and Drew in the same place together. Rob, we missed you. (laughs) Well, no, I I mostly... What I heard was we were were out not seeing, like, the German fascist party. Oh, and sorry. I was like, like, mm-hmm. like the Germans Workers Party. Is that yeah. Like, is that, yeah. Yeah. They have a very charismatic leader. I've been hearing a lot about him. Um, no, no, not sorry. We, are, we were not making Nazi propaganda. Uh, we were cr- drinking wine. Beautiful Australian wine from Daniel Ricardo. Uh, Daniel Ricardo's terrific wine was sent to us by Circuit Demon donkeys years ago. Uh, back, I don't think, was it before COVID? It might have been before. I think it might have been, yeah. Early been, or, in, at least, yeah. Early in, it, yeah, because it was, I think it was around Melbourne 2020, so that would mm. have been back when Melbourne was the opening race, right, when it got cancelled. I think it was around then. So I've been sitting on this beautiful bottle of wine for two years. Drew came to my backyard, uh, we sat down, we had a picnic um, with some cheese and crackers and my cat, and a squirrel turned up, and we recorded a 20-minute video of us opening this bottle of wine and chatting about formula one and it's up now for media pass holders um and trying to be wine guys yes <laughs> which really <laughs> what was the what was the description that diana ricardo had on the bottle of wine it i was, don't remember uh, it was something ridiculous like it was a uh, flavorsome it was like so vague it was something so like you could apply to basically anything you put in your mouth flavorsome yeah. it's very flavorsome wine uh, yeah also, that was fun was yeah good re- we're just kind of reflecting on you know podcast the the season f1 in general and uh having some wine with my buddy. yeah it was a good time so if you're a media pass holder go check out the patreon feed and you can go check that out right now it's all it's in 4k as well we spare no Whoa. expense i know right um uh we're also working on a, our patreon exclusive podcast this month is going to be love the beast the eric banna documentary series where you learn that he only acts so that he can race cars um and of course this would all none of this would be possible but all of our patrons including our terrific Title sponsors, such as Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, At Talking Autos, Tanner McCleave, Wealth Energy, Olivia Evans, Pyrite's Card Castle, Erica Siegel, Iron Station Studios, Alan McCrary, TelemetryDuck.com, Gnarly Goat, David Mule, Drew Stewart, Bailey Foot, Abdullah Althani, Jason Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, Octothorpe, Bunny Crimes, Your Top Six Dot Games, Snigs, Alex Goucher, Max Voltar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Umberto Rocco, William Romph, and Jason Kelly. Right on. Well, <laughs> let us jump directly into the news, everyone. Uh, not news. a whole lot going on in terms of salacious uh, bits out there, but we do have. I would say one of those kind of softly very important news stories, um, the cost cap is uh, is one that's kind of been, has had a, a pretty long trajectory over the past few years. Mm. Uh, this is the rule that F1 teams are only, only allowed to spend a certain amount. Um, there are various uh, 
mechanisms in place on what they can and can't spend it on. Um, and I think a, a big question mark for, for us at least is like, well, how does this actually get policed? Um, and what do fines look like? How does, how does this all work if, if someone breaches it? Well, we've had the first breach, um, and it's Williams of, of all teams. Right. Uh, though I suppose, you know, being bought by an American investment firm um, and being in the back of the field means that, well, a lot of money is getting spent. They are um, called Darrington Capital. That's it. That's we right. Lots of, we have lots of capital to yeah, spend. Sounds very Nicholas Latifi costs a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> uh, costs a lot to look this good. Um, <laughs> uh, although it's not, it was, it's more of a technical breach. Uh, yeah. The FIA, this from Autosport, said that Williams had failed to submit its complete full year reporting documentation by the deadline, uh, which is March 31st, 2022. Um, and was fined $25,000. So not a, not a big deal. Um, but I think would would be, if it was me. (laughs) Well, right. If the IRS did that, I'd probably get my taxes done a few weeks earlier. (laughs) Or if it was Williams a couple years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but I think this, the, the bigger story here is that, you know, in the, in the age of this coincided with the pandemic, you know, the cost cap coming into into effect. And uh, a lot of team principals, most loudly, not a surprise, Christian Horner, <laughs> um, is like, well, hey, everything is more expensive now, so you should raise the cost cap. Um, of course, uh, Red Bull has money to spare, so of mm. course he would be saying this. Uh, but not everyone agrees. Of course, Alpine specifically has said that they, they already factored the possibility of cost increases, you know, from inflation and, and, and shipping and everything into their budget from the start so that that would be unfair. Um, Ferrari's Mattia Bonotto, again, this from the, the Autosport article, warned that uh, there was a way his team would be able to fall under the cap, but it was unclear what the consequence would be as there is no fixed penalty for what is known as a minor breach of the rules, which is within 5% of the limit. Mm. Uh, and, and Horner also in this article says, what's the penalty for a minor breach? So it's just a lot of question marks and confusions. Um, so he, he says, uh, what I think we do need is clarity and clarity quickly, because this is, they're coming up against it. Horner even said, and I, again, it's tough to tell with him whether this is real uh, or if it's if it's just an, a, an extreme exaggeration, but he's saying oh, like there are teams that could miss Grand Prix, you know, because they don't have the the shipping costs to uh, to fly to, you know, Brazil or whatever. Right. Because they spent their budget already on other things that maybe they shouldn't. Yeah, it's it's I I totally understand the the politics that are at play here because the cost cap ultimately is sort of a you know. It's not arbitrary in terms of it's not important, but it is a rule that has been sort of arbitrarily imposed on the sport by everyone to try and, you know, by the FAA, by F1 to try and, you know, curb the the runaway spending of the big teams, but also by the big teams to try and find where they're comfortable with. So it makes sense that there's always going to be some pushing and pressure on that number, uh, be it for this year or the next year or whatever. It's just kind of like part and parcel of this. Um. Yeah, the, the the idea that like they suddenly now hadn't factored for inflation or like the idea that like y- you don't budget a business with these things in mind is kind of silly. Um, 
but I can also see that like if things are getting tight they're looking downstream and expecting maybe that they're not going to be the only team that runs into this issue and maybe trying to figure out what the penalty is to see whether or not the penalty is worthwhile you know it's kind of like a lot of business will factor in that sort of stuff like it's sure. the sort of financial carbon offsetting of the of the corporate <laughs> world is to just take it on the chin on the other end um if especially if it ends up just being a fine like red yeah. bull can pay a fine so I do think if there's no clarity for it, it makes complete sense because if they are coming up against this thinking, hey, look, we may need to, you know, rein in our spending right now. Are we going to get hit with a points penalty? They probably want that clarified ASAP. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think that's exactly what he's saying here. mm. Uh, But uh, related to that, salary caps, Rob. Yeah, so the... There has been some discussion from some of the teams about the idea of introducing a driver salary cap, which right now there is not, Uh, nor is there a salary cap for, I think, three, uh, like, technical staff for each team, so that, for instance, like, if you, like... Adrian Newey can get paid what Adrian Newey is worth on the market, right? If you're an Adrian (laughs) Newey-level talent, uh, like, what you do for a team would be a huge percentage of 140 million uh 100, 140 million uh is it pounds that they calculate this in or it's is it dollars, dollars i think yeah uh so that'd be a huge part of it so they, they exempt like senior technical staff from this they exempt drivers from it and some teams have sort of indicated that this is a, a little unfair and could be a place where teams would like to uh, see costs uh, a bit more controlled and have a little bit more parity in the driver's market. Um, this is like an idea that is just loosely being kicked around. Uh, in the Autosport article, one thing that's alluded to is that uh, a couple teams, including Alfa Romeo and Alpine, have proposed put it, instituting a $30 million per year cap on what you can pay that is not counted as that 140 million dollars and then if you want to go over 30 million now you are dipping into your team budget right so if you ah, want to pay okay. like yeah if you want to pay your star like 40 million a year 30 million of that is cool 10 million of that is going to come out of your 140 for team operations uh however uh well i mean for one thing uh Mattia bonato is very clear that this is very preliminary uh it's a complicated issue he doesn't feel like they're really ready to figure out what the solution is there, especially since you have driver contracts uh, already inked, and that's always going to be an issue. Like, there's always going to be like extant contracts uh, that like will not play nicely with whatever the new regime is. So that's a thing that has to be figured out. Uh, but it's also going to move the drivers into tension with this. Alonso uh, sort of raised the question of why are we talking about capping driver pay? when we're driving more races than ever before we have a harder schedule than ever before um you know in what world does that make sense and i think he's right like i think every everywhere that salary caps have been instituted generally it has been a good thing for like franchise owners and a bad thing for talent um i think but i will say i don't think there's anything special about the drivers here uh, as opposed to like just technical staff and mechanics, right? That like, you know, 
if we're saying that the entire team, the headcount that goes to the races and such, uh, all all their salaries count against the $140 million, uh, then you have created a situation where if inflation is just going to increase freight, freight costs, mm. the pressure is going to be on wages. And these are people who have already, like, they, they talk about, like, you know, bad accommodations at the events. Uh, 23 of them now. Yeah. And During so, a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. And so the yeah, thing is, like, I think tough. Alonzo's making a good point, but, like, it's as true of the driver's as it is for like mechanical staff. And so I, I do think that the, the cost cap thing is barreling toward a conflict uh, with the various forms of labor that exist in F1. Uh, you know, my, my concern, but my suspicion would also be that like drivers and the people in that elite tier of engineering staff are not going to see a lot of like, interest shared between them and like the me- the mechanics and the crews uh but i do think it's there like i think that the cost cap especially in an environment that's getting tougher in terms of inflation uh and just like like transit and logistical logistical infrastructure around the world um that's something the teams are going to have to absorb and the only place that they're going to see an easy way to make cuts without compromising their competitive uh, edge is going to be with wages. Uh, so I, I do think like the cost cap thing has been generally like it's, it's a good notion for like making the sport a little like creating a little more parity between the teams, but what it's going to do for like the F1 labor market, I think is, not great and like we could see some real tension open up yeah uh about how this is all accounted for and who is who is basically helping the teams comply with this yeah it's putting it's putting pressure uh, like uh, yeah it's accumulating pressure on a lot of other factors you're right that like aren't that are probably in many ways more important especially because i've always wanted to know this i've always wanted to sit down with somebody on the financial side of an f1 team and try and get an understanding of how much flex you have with regards to driver um compensation because there's so much advertising money coming in like is it easier to put on the books that your driver is getting x amount minus a a certain amount and then offset that with your sponsors you know what i mean because like the sponsors are sponsoring the team but they're sponsoring the driver so if you get them to pay the driver for a cut of the sponsorship, can you offset that up again? You know what I mean? Like, well, this is always we're going to pay you one million dollars, but Mission Winnow is going to pay you twenty nine. Totally, exactly. Like, because that's basically the way it you know it works. I'm sure. I I don't I, I don't have. A, I wish I knew this. I don't think. I don't think that if a driver is driving for a team, that they do their own sponsorship stuff. I have a feeling that all of the sponsorship is tied to it with the team. I don't know if that's the case. Maybe you can go do Fruity Pebbles commercials if you're Nicholas Latifi well, on, on the side. But there's weird situations, yeah, like where, like, uh, at least for a long time, Alonzo brought that uh, Satander uh, sponsorship with him. Oh, right, yeah. And so... The, yeah, right, was that associated with him, or was it that they just yeah, liked so, him like, and kept going? Yeah, so did he have, like, a... Like, a, a paid driver deal for Satander... <laughs> <laughs> alongside they also sponsor his teams right so like this is like basically the nike model where it's nike isn't paying right. lebron james's salary for the lakers the lakers are paying lebron james 
But LeBron James is also getting a huge amount of money for like the 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 Nike contract. Uh, does that exist across? Like, and, and I think that's been part of the F one model for a while, which is that like, right? If you're a big enough driver, of course, uh, like these sorts of spon- these sorts of promotional deals uh, come your way. But I do know that when the cost cap was instituted, there was a lot of hand wringing about this type of like weird phantom accounting you could do, where like right. Uh, sponsorship promotion budgets could be a way to mask uh, like various forms of pay and compensation. Uh, so I, I think, like I, I think I think it's a mess because I like accounting is always like complicated, especially when there's an incentive to like create special buckets that don't count. <laughs> yeah, so one hundred percent, and it seems very easy to do that with the drivers. Yeah, just by so I, I I'd love to know I I. I, I suspect not much of this is, is, is there's much, not much light shone upon this for the exact reasons of it just being a small pool of people, very specific, and obviously incredible amounts of money. But um, yeah, they must have accounted for this in some aspect of the financial fair play stuff for F1. But uh, yeah, it, it does seem relatively opaque still. Well, speaking of very special people, <laughs> Rob, what's this next story? <laughs> well, just... Uh- Helmut Marco noting that in the uh, Sergio Perez signing, that basically put paid to any notion that Pierre Gasly was going to return to the team anytime soon. Which, right. you know, by a lot of measures, uh, he certainly earned with uh, you know pretty strong performances throughout his time at AlphaTauri, and so he was asked about that uh, by a French outlet, I think, and he was very matter-of-fact, it's a very Marco-ish comment. He said, before the signing, I, of course, spoke to Gasly, explained the situation. And yes, we'll have to see what happens with Gasly after 2023. Uh, but what would be the alternative? I don't think there's any alternative for him at the moment that would be significantly better than Alpha Tori. Uh, which I think is true. Mm. Um, I mean, well, to who stay knows in the rental ecosystem. <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah totally yeah the, I, yeah i i in a weird way i think gasly's performance at alfatari it to me uh, this sound this is awful because like what else do you do but there are some drivers who really relish this type of team that overperform in an underperforming car and that when it comes to the sort of like more i don't know last five percent of a car situation of the bigger teams don't do it and obviously he is one of a number of drivers who struggled at red bull and um, also they were all very young when they went in there and not everyone is max verstappen not everyone has been abandoned by their parents at racetracks and is full of full of professional fury about it um so yeah in a way i feel like he he kind of is making a good case for him being just like a super solid mid-team driver. So I I do wonder if he's not as exciting for people, maybe. Um, yeah, and Checo is like the best number two they've had, for sure. We're, 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 this year will remains to be seen how it shakes out, because we could we could end up in a very Weber-Vettel situation if the, uh, you know, if, if the title is, is tight and you have a veteran finally in a good car and a, and a young upstart who doesn't want to get out of the way. Um which would be awesome, but uh, yeah, it's I feel bad for him, but also I don't feel that bad for him. He's driving well, he's getting paid, and it's a uh, he's lucky. The Avatar is a decent car, actually. 
Yeah. And when, if a spot opens up elsewhere, that's the best, like one of the best uh, resumes uh, on the grid, I'd say. Although a leaving a Red Bull team has not worked out so well for some people. It's true. It's true, Danny. Fantastic. You're welcome. Uh, transition there. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about Ricardo. Mm. It just continues to not look any better over there. Uh, and Formula1.com has collected some quotes here from the parties involved. Uh, McLaren CEO Zach Brown uh, has a quote here. Daniel is just not comfortable yet with the car. We're trying everything we can. Uh, short of Ricardo's victory at Monza and a few races, it's generally not met his or our expectations as far as what we're expecting. I think that's what expectations means. And I think uh, all you can do is keep working hard as a team, keep communications going, keep pushing and hope that whatever is not kind of clicking at the moment clicks here shortly. Uh, So Ricardo was asked about these comments ahead of the Monaco Grand Prix. um, And Ricardo replied, it's not false. It's pretty true. Uh, Firstly, the comments I don't take personally. My skin is tanned, beautiful, and also thick. (laughs) Uh, but it hasn't met our expectations. It's been a little bit tricky for me to always gel 100% with the car and feel like I can pull out these, I'm trying to say like spectacular laps, but that sounds like I'm really bigging myself up. But yeah, just to pull out these heaters, I guess. It has been more tricky for sure. Uh, There's been some races and times when it's been good, but honestly, still working at it. Uh, I mean, it's hard not to feel for Ricardo here. It sounds like what both drivers are saying about the Haas car, where it's like it's the completely different, or just from one race to the next, and we can't get a handle on it. Uh, however, the one big difference there is one driver is getting a handle on it. Yeah. Um, and after what a year and a half in that car, Ricardo still doesn't is not really anywhere close to to his teammate Lando Norris uh, in um, in performance there. Um, we we talked a little bit last week about. You know, the fact that Ricardo still has one more year on his contract, he's, he's signed through to 2023, but I think an important thing to bring up um, is that there are a lot of times, you know, uh, escape clauses for the teams in situations like this. Like if you are a driver, yes, you're signed, but that part of the stipulation is if you are not meeting, you know, a certain threshold, like, I don't know, average, if, if you're not in the top 10 of the championship, you know, by this point in the season, we can release you. Um, no indication of that, but I, I don't think that's so far out of the question. No, and there was a couple of, a lot of this sort of like broke post Monaco, um, where there was, uh, I forget who said it, the quote, but there was basically a question raised of like, I don't think there's a driver on the grid that has been given so much time to find performance as Dino Ricardo. And I think, like, in many ways, that's kind of true. The narrative around Renault was kind of that, you know, maybe the car wasn't great or maybe you had trouble getting used to the new car. And then the narrative of McLaren was very much like, okay, we're here, he's in, and, like, he's going to, you know, Lando better do good this year. And then Lando did good that year. Uh-huh. And it was more kind of like, oh, didn't Lando do great? Not was Daniel underperforming and I think the longer this goes on the the trend lines are there and it's very hard to dispute you know as much as you know I think we all like him I think this is the 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 reason why he's gotten so much rope in a way is because 
people really like Daniel. People on the grid like him. Fans like him. Neutrals like him. And he's also gone to teams that they've sort of wanted him to do well at. You know what I mean? There's no like bitterness coming from anyone else. There's no bitterness coming from Red Bull people. He's going to these lower teams. Um, there's no bad blood with any of this. He seems to even get on with Christian and Max still, and like you know, you know, Cyril getting tattoos for Zach. Everyone seems to like him, and I think <laughs> that's the thing is that we don't want him to fail. We like him as a presence in F1. We want him to do well, and he's got so much goodwill behind him that I think, in a way, that has sort of protected him. But it does feel like those protections have sort of eroded away in recent weeks. I would say. Yeah, I, it's the the funny thing is, it's just, it's just so much like the narrative, right? Of like being paired with Norris, who is able to like just get on with this car, and as a younger driver, um, it like it was always going to be tough, um, and it, it just like I am not sure this is a. I'm not sure this is a salvageable situation. Like, even if... Because he, he can't... If he just gets better in the McLaren and starts posting, like, decent number two numbers, you really de- need Daniel Ricciardo for that when you could mm. be casting about for, you know, who is going to be a, a longer-term, like, stablemate for uh, Norris. I Like, it's, it's a tough situation that, again... I don't know where you would say the mistake was, right? Like you, you could argue that uh, it could have worked out better for everyone if he'd stayed at Red Bull. They might have, they might have notched a championship at least mm. uh, as a constructor uh, by now if if it hadn't fallen out that way. But I definitely think that expectations were so different at Renault, and then he arrives at McLaren just as people start thinking this McLaren can really do some stuff. And also, he's paired with a really capable driver. Um, it is just like he really he he did set himself a very high bar to clear. Um, and the worst thing possible has happened, which is he just has mysterious "I can't drive this car" itis. Yeah, um, which happens in F one. These cars are all really similar in terms of performance and drive completely different in terms of characteristic. It's just such a bummer, right? Because we were—I feel like we were—we t- were talking about this last year, right? When there was a quote around this time when he was talking about, you know, it's the—it's sort of like the rub your belly, pat your hat, pat your yeah, head mm-hmm. thing, and then suddenly you have to rub your head and pat your belly. It's like sometimes the cars just work differently, and you have to like remap your brain a bit. Um, I think his age doesn't help in this situation as well. Maybe where like then you start to wonder about, oh, he's not got maybe. If he's not a massive talent, he's 32 now, maybe he doesn't stretch his career into, you know, Alonzo years. <laughs> um, and what type of investment is he? You know, um, I bet he brings a lot of fans with him. I suspect a lot of the Drive to Survive fan base is also quite pro-Daniel because he's sort of always had his little narrative in there. Um, yeah, I'm sure f- Liberty would love him to stay in the sport. Yeah, and he's not, and he's a great driver. Like we've seen him, yeah. like do great drives in the past two years. Like um, uh, uh, Monza last year, right? Like he's like he's he, when it when it works, it works. And when he nobody, I don't think anyone begrudges or doesn't like seeing that dude pour champagne into his dirty shoe. Like <laughs> I whole, can like, see it less. 
I'll be, I'll be, uh, <laughs> maybe regarding the shoey in particular. I could do with fewer shoeys. I think when he got Patrick Stewart to drink it, that was one. Yeah. That was like top ten F one moments for me. That was yeah, that was pretty great. I, I think the same way that Pierre Gasly's drive in Alpha Tauri is um, great for his resume. I think this is doing the opposite thing for Ricardo's. Like I don't. I think his prospects are dwindling. Like what? Even if you're, you know, Alpha Romeo. Are you thinking like, oh, awesome. Uh, if Daniel's out, I'm going to snag him. Maybe if you're out for, or, uh, um, I was thinking Aston Martin. Right. Maybe if you're Aston Martin, you you do say that if, if Vettel retires or whatever. Or maybe they swap. Uh, <laughs> a buddy well, of mine suggested sorry, that, and I, I, I can't get that out of my head. Yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting. It would be an interesting A-B test right there just to see um, how that feels, but... Yeah, I think I think you're like you're 100 percent right that the next trade feels different. The Renault one felt like, hey, he tried this, the parachute didn't work, this team didn't connect, maybe he hit them at the wrong time. Now that it's like happened again, where he hasn't lit, lit a team on fire, and he is kind of, you know, his stock is 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 dwindling basically. Yeah. Um, and how much is left on it? I guess is the ultimate question. Um, but it is interesting when you pair him up against other drivers who are less charismatic, really, if you just put it down to that. Like, um, you know, you don't have a lot of people clambering for Esteban Ocon, right? Super nice guy. He's, he's like the most normal person on the grid. He's just like a normal right. dude. He's so nice, but he's just like, he's a normal guy. And you don't you don't have that sort of affect with him, so... And Perez, for the longest time, I would say as well, Perez was kind of just like a known quantity on the grid. You know, he's a bit of a Bottas maybe, like pretty, you know, shoulders are a little bit wide in some of those cars. Uh, always did a really good job, but like it wasn't like people were clambering for Sergio Perez. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's worked out that way. You know, his this is his ultimate. Like it's it's amazing to think that after his long career and all the teams he's with, he will be remembered for what's going on right now. Which is like does not happen. Vettel, Alonso, you know, look at all these like That's true. drivers. The graph goes Schu- in a different direction. Schumacher, it t- totally. Of course, it does. Barrichello, like it does not tend to shake out that way. But Sergio is having that moment. I hope that happens to Daniel too. But yeah. it's a it's a tough one. He's in a rough spot. It, all right, he really needs be more to switch of a it on U now. Shape. I think. Yeah. 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 Although I think the problem is you run into the question of this does sort of raise question marks on his early career too, because the Red Bull was so dominant during that period that it start you know, it it raises But he was closer to his teammates. He was, but also Verstappen was earlier in his career too. I I guess I'm not I'm I guess I'm just playing devil's advocate. I think given enough time it might bring into question some of that stuff too of like was he as was he as good as what we thought or was was it just a really not just a really good car but was a lot of it the car in the circumstances it raises the questions which i think also doesn't help him at all well speaking of weird shapes let's take it to the track danny <laughs> baku, baku in europe at least for a time in 2016. It was That's the right. European Grand Prix back when we were still doing the European Grand Prix. Man, to do we should do a whole preseason primer on the history of the European Grand Prix. What a 
what a weirdness. Um, yes, we went to Baku as part of the sort of uh, mid mid tens expansion. Um, it is a Tilke drone, which was, means it was designed by Herman Tilke, who is a a designer of racetracks. Uh, some of most of the sort of concrete um, actual circuits. Uh, that we've added over I the past couple of like decades. I heard you like Petro-State's soy track here. Um, the Baku Street Circuit, I'm going to throw it in there, might be his best track. Baku, when we went mm. to it first in 2016, there were lots of questions. There, were, It looks like a go-kart track. There's lots of like 90-degree turns, which mm-hmm. basically don't exist in F1. There's a couple of 90-degree turns into 90-degree turns which are very, very strange, which uh, I was watching a circuit walk with uh, Alexander Alba a few days ago, and he was like, some of the turns on this track, you do not exist in any F1 track except here. They're just, like, very weird. Um, And uh, it's provided good races. It's incredibly technical and incredibly fast. The drivers like it. um, And it's also really tough. And it's provided a lot of, like, chaos over the years in terms of uh, like we were saying, uh, d- d- manhole covers popping off, people crashing mm-hmm. under safety car. People, people crashing into castles. Crashing into castles, crashing into straightaways and collecting themselves back on the track. Lots of It is the most like a Mario Kart track, I think. It's a very strange... Yeah, because it has the... It has long straights and it has one of the most weirdly technical parts um, in F1. So... It's a 51 lap race. Uh, it's very fast and technical. It's bumpy too because it's a street circuit. Um, they have tended to do a little bit of resurfacing work on it every couple of years, uh, but that sort of never really does all the work, especially to these ancient ass tracks. Um, it is, I think, so Bottas broke the speed record here in 2016 for all of F1, which means it was faster than China. And that has an incredibly long straight. Um, wow. This technically in its third... Okay, actually, let me just break down the three sections. I've, I've tried not to do this in recent years on this podcast because I know it's difficult for people um, to grok what I'm saying when I'm looking at a circuit map. But like, let me just... This is one of those... The three sectors are three different tracks. tracks. Sector mm. one is a bunch of 90-degree turns. And the turning points and breaking points specifically for these are wicked hard. So turn one has a huge runoff area in front of it. Turn two has a runoff area in front of us. Turn three has a runoff area in front of us. And the reason why is that the breaking points on these are some of the hardest in the F1 track, especially turn three, because the amount of time you have to see if you've got the turn in right and you're not going to straight yourself into the other side of the track is so, so, so small. I was watching a Nico Rosberg video last week about this, that he was like, it is the toughest part of all of f1 to know whether or not you should go down the escape road or not it's like almost impossible so during qualifying laps is why this stuff is so tight so the first section is really tough when it comes to braking zones the second section is one of the most technical parts in all of f1 there's a couple of really weird little double right hand nonsenses and then it's this castle section which they all say is really hard so it's it's unmissable when you're watching the track. You'll see them drive past what looks like the sort of a turret on the you know the side of a castle wall, like a circular one. Um, it's incredibly tight. You can't touch the inside curve because if you do, you'll bottom out and you'll go straight into the wall. The wall like sort of deeks and moves like a bunch of different times. It's also uphill and it's a right hander, and the wall isn't curved. It's 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 like a hexagon. So it's straight. So imagine you're driving along the edge of a hexagon. It's straight and it has a point 
and then you turn the corner more and it's another straight and a point and another straight and a point. You know what I mean? Like it, instead of it being a curved turn where they can sort of spot the apex a little bit better, they're already in F1 car. They're going uphill so they can't see anything. The only thing Often they can see into is into the sun. Into the sun. You're right. <laughs> and they can't spot the apex because it keeps changing as they're turning yeah. the corner. It doesn't have a curve. A curve, your your mind can figure out where the center of the curve is if you're on a curve. You, you sort of can understand. Well, and wiggling your steering wheel back and forth, which you have to do for this, like, <laughs> you know, uh, hard-edged thing, it can unsettle your car. Yeah. So it's this whole part is totally bamboozling. And then what's worse is that whole part, the, the trouble with Sector 2 is not over because Turn 15 is one of the toughest braking zones in F1. It's another reason why there's a big runoff hidden to the, to the right of it. It's because it's a super fast, you're taking loads of speed into it, it's downhill. So you just don't have a lot of the mechanical forces you do in other um, braking zones to basically snap that thing in. It's also why it's open on the left, you can kind of skip the curve if you want to. So... All that, basically turn 16, it's a 20-turn race, but turn 16 is kind of the last turn onto a, it's basically flat out. There's a couple of turns on it, but they take it flat. And from all the stuff I was reading that the drivers were like, this is where we breathe. This is like where we like collect ourselves and then get back into it. Um, uh, There was, uh, in that Nico Rosberg video, he was talking about how that, it was an older video I was watching from a couple of years back. He was talking about how that pit wall entrance used to be the scariest wall in all of F1 to him because if you lost, if anything happened to your car, you would go straight into it. And he was like, that would be the end of your career or life or whatever. And then we literally saw that happen to Max uh, the last time we raced here, right? We didn't race here last year? I don't think. I'm trying to remember. Um, but we had some pretty bad cra- crashes there. We had um, uh, Stroll and Verstappen had incidents there. Uh, we've had crashes going into turn one, famously Ricardo and Verstappen. We've had mm-hmm. uh, loads of this stuff. This is here. where so, Hamilton, uh, you know, messed up yes. his braking on the restart. This is where uh, Verstappen's tire just exploded. Like, it seems that even independent of the track, weird stuff happens in Baku. So it's one that I you like know, magic. If you're if you, yeah, <laughs> if you're gonna watch one. You should watch Baku. Yeah, it tends uh, to provide fun races, and at the very least, you'll get some safety car restarts. Yeah, because again, there's no margin for error. It's just a Death Star trench run. Yeah. A lot of walls. Uh, I did look up the Botas speed record. 378 kilometers per hour, or 234.8. Wild. Miles an hour. Yeah. Madness. In a street circuit. In a street circuit, you're right. In a street circuit, Yeah. But it's also safe. Like the tech, there's no, except for that one weird corner on the straightaway. It's not a track where, you know, it's a track where you, uh, there's a lot of crashes in fourth gear into into the outside apex, you know, outside of an apex, that type of thing. It's it well, not, I mean, safe is relative, but it doesn't yeah, freak yeah, for, me yeah. out like Saudi <laughs> yeah. Arabia. You know, no, 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 one hundred percent. It's not that. I would even say Monaco has parts that are like exiting the tunnel where it's where it's. You don't want to crash. There are places where you don't want to crash in those tracks. And I feel like here, there's so much runoff um, or so many escape roads that they kind of know where where it'll happen at speed. Famous last words, but, you know, touching wood. Well, uh, thankfully for the drivers, I guess, um, zero precipitation uh, looks to be the case for mm. qualifying and race day. Temperatures, though, 
uh, around 78 degrees Fahrenheit or 26 Celsius for qualifying day. And then on race day, it's a little earlier in the day. So 84 degrees Fahrenheit or 29 Celsius. Uh, and the wind picks up on race day. So from, Ooh. yeah, uh, from, uh, let's see, 10 miles an hour to 15 miles an hour, uh, or 24, uh, to, uh, or 16 to 24 kilometers an hour. So, uh, be look, uh, be on the lookout for that. It's on the edge of the Caspian Sea. Is that right? Yeah. And also just, we haven't, I didn't mention it, but this is a good track regardless of the new cars. So it's going to be fun to see if they can follow mm. each other. Like it's already a really long straight with a DRS at the, at the end. It's a, there's a DRS at the end of it. Like you've already done the straight and then the straight's still going and then the DRS opens. So, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Like I think it with with these cars able to, you know, I think there was a famous incident here where Ricardo overtook three people on that straight. In oh, one that's go. right. Yeah, so, yeah. I, so I think there is no better candidate maybe for let's see how how much fun you can have in these new cars than Baku. Well, let's run down the driver standings ahead of this weekend's race. Max Verstappen is on top with 125 points to Charles Leclerc's 116. And Sergio Perez in third with 110. George Russell is in fourth with 84 points, right ahead of Carlos Sainz with 83. In sixth place, Lewis Hamilton with 50 points, uh, followed by Lando Norris in seventh with 48. Valtteri Bottas in eighth with 40. Espan Ocon has 30. Kevin Magnussen holding down 10th position with 15 points. Then we've got a tie for 11th place between Daniel Ricciardo and Yuki Tsunoda. Fernando Alonso just one point behind in 13th place with 10. Pierre Gasly's in 14th with 6. Then we've got Sebastian Vettel with 5. Alex Albon with 3. Lance Stroll with 2. Zhou Guan Yu with 1 in 18th place. And then Mick Schumacher, Nicholas Latifi, and Nico Hulkenberg with 0 zero i saw sebastian Vettel saying to everyone hey chill out on mick schumacher just give him a second give him time <laughs> i i i uncle, can feel the points coming the <laughs> I, can, I can feel them coming it's Look, gonna happen this year if we're, if we're talking about like drivers with goodwill behind them Mick Schumacher can have an entire career of not scoring points and he will remain an F1. Like, <laughs> yeah. like and that is not, I'm not saying that that will happen. I'm not casting aspersions on Mick. He has a very good career in previous Formula One and formulas. Um, but such is the importance yeah. of his family's legacy and what they've given to the sport that I don't think any, there's going to be very little pressure coming from Mick Schumacher for quite a while. In constructor standings, Red Bull is on top with 235 points to Ferrari's 199. Ooh. Mercedes is in third with 134. Then a jump down to McLaren in fourth with 59. Alfa Romeo in fifth with 41, above Alpine with 40. Then we've got Alfa Tauri with 17, which I would have thought they'd be higher. Uh, or with more points, at least. Gene Haas and team have 15 points. Aston Martin with 7, and Williams with three should we take to the emails danny let's do it shift f1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails this one comes in from andrew been a fan of the show for a while but there was some confusion about the pick sorry pit exit line drama in the show this week that i thought i should clarify when verstappen touched the pit exit line during the race the stewards mistook him for perez and so the on-screen graphic and presumably the race information the teams get said they were investigating Perez. After the race, presumably, 
to be thorough, Ferrari named both Red Bull drivers in their protest. You covered Verstappen uh, ruling well, but the stewards found and Ferrari agreed that Perez never touched the line at all. Thanks for the pod. This is true. I noticed this afterwards too as well. Mm. Uh, Perez's on-screen camera. I was. I watched the, I think Jolian Palmer had one of his um, breakdown videos on YouTube and you can watch the full ones on F1 TV. Um, and uh, yeah, he broke it down. I saw the Perez on board and I was like, oh, he's nowhere near the line. <laughs> so I don't know yeah. what happened. And then I saw the Verstappen one and the Verstappen one's marginal. It's not as slam dunk as as uh, uh, I think I thought it was around the time. As it well, is. But. If the if the rule is touching the line is over the line, then it's not marginal. But that yeah, apparently yeah. is not was not the rule there or yeah, you're right, whatever. You're right. um, Rob, can you do this one from yeah. Alan? Yeah, Alan writes, after the start of the season, we all thought Ferrari was going to run away with both titles. But after Monaco, the question has to be if Ferrari are snakebitten or if they're their own worst enemy. A random breakdown like in Spain happens, but with Red Bull looking confident and even winning in places where they haven't looked dominant, do you think Ferrari just lacks the knowledge and confidence to carry a lead forward, or is it just down to bad circumstances? It's been decades now not meeting the expectations, even with strong packages with Alonso and Ben Vettel on the team. They still haven't been able to put it all together since the 2000s. So mm. first... We never thought Ferrari was going to run away with both titles. Like Red Bull ha- was like cruising to a win at the start of the season, and both their cars broke down. Uh, like in terms of who has the most pace, it's been pretty neck and neck. It was always going to be a fight that goes the distance, and Red Bull's been in a lot more of those in recent years. I, I, right. I do think like yeah. the other thing is. Uh, increasingly I regard that Vettel season where he was in the hunt for the championship as kind of a mirage in part because we now know that some of the performance they gained they gained literally came from a rules loophole loophole <laughs> they were exploiting uh to to get extra straight line power um I think it's I think there's a, there's a few factors I think we already sort of alluded to the fact that you have to have been here before uh, in order to like really handle these kind of pressure crunch time situations, and that's true of both the drivers and uh, you know, and, and the pit wall. Mm. And there's and there is a bit of luck. Um, but but I but I do think that Ferrari are having their inexperience at managing a championship fight be exposed, and they're up against a team that is very experienced at this and a driver who I think especially after last year just does not react to pressure the way he used to and Leclerc and Sainz have not had that moment uh and and so I think there's there's a lot of things at Ferrari that they've they've built a really good car running that car to a championship is a really different set of skills it's you can you can, the like A B test between the two sets of drivers is remarkable because you have Perez who's in this great run of form, uh, you have uh, Verstappen who has gotten the monkey off his back. He won his championship, fine, like he's done it, and then you have Leclerc who cannot seem to win Monaco. Everything happens wrong for him to do that, and then Carlos Sainz who just keeps binning it and like you know ways that are often not his fault but sometimes are his fault, and then it's totally rattled him as well. Um. Last year, the title-deciding race at the end of the season came down to a moment of luck, but it was because both teams fought for every point before that 
that meant that the, when the luck swung one way, it ended up deciding the title. Um, you, it's clearly an era in F1, or at least last year was, and it seems like this year is, where you just can't make bad, small, silly mistakes. It'll You won't win a championship if you do it. And at least when you look at the first selection of races from this year, Ferrari have made a lot of mistakes. And Red Bull have had bad things happen to their cars. And I think if you shake that out over the course of the year, Ferrari are going to have a tough time trying to win this one. But, you know, as we always see, give it a couple more races and the pendulum swings. It's true. Um, Drew, do you want to take this one from Allison? Yes, Allison writes, Hi there, my boyfriend and I have three-day grandstand passes for the Montreal Grand Prix, oh. our first one. Very exciting. Awesome. I recently got an email about attending the pit lane walk on Thursday morning. From what, I'm, what I've gathered, anyone can attend. No reservations needed. There's only a three-hour window for this. Can anyone tell me what exactly this is and if it's worth going? Uh, I'm surprised it's such a short time frame with anyone allowed to attend, so it's not as interesting as it sounds. So is it not as interesting as it sounds? Any other advice for making sure we make the most of our Grand Prix weekend? Thank you. Uh, all right, first of all, the pit lane walk. I We did not do uh, in Austin, Danny. Mm. Um, so I don't exactly know, but from some photos I looked up, it looks like kind of what you would expect. They opened the pit lane, uh, and the I think the garages are open. Yeah. Um, and they've just got some, <clears throat> you know, some velvet ropes uh, between you and the cars. So from- I don't want to give wrong expectations, but I do know people who have done this. And, like, I would go. To me, it sounded cool because it's a bit like, don't go expecting this will happen. But sometimes the vibe is a bit like... I don't know if I, I, Danny, I certainly don't know if they did this like over in Ireland or the, or the UK, but like in the States growing up, there were days where it was like, they would open up the firehouse to let people like sort of just like walk through, walk by. And like, sometimes oh, right. you yeah, talk yeah. to the firemen and yeah. it was like, wow, firemen. <laughs> and there's a bit of that with like the open, like the, the, the pit lane walk. Um, not always uh, like people are busy. Uh, some mm. of the teams are, more obliging with people wanting to take pictures or like wanting to ask questions to mechanics than others. Um, like for instance, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go try to chat up anyone at Mercedes. Uh, <laughs> on the other hand, I do know people who did not work at Red Bull who chatted up like Red Bull mechanics and like the mechanics were like, Oh yeah. Like, come on. I want to show you. Yeah, you're cool. Like, come look at this thing. It's really neat. You'll get a kick out of this. So like, it's like at the very least you'll have sort of a neat, um, like almost a, a public fair parade day where you get to just like be (laughs) proximate to a place you don't normally get to. Yeah. Uh, and at best, sometimes you meet a cool person who will be like, um, and not in a creepy way, not like because they're trying to hit on you or your partner (laughs) who will be like, oh, no, I can show you a really cool thing, or I'm happy to sit here and explain parts of my job. Yeah, yeah I, I would say going, first of all, just sitting in the grandstands and seeing the cars for the first time is, it's kind of like in itself seeing a celebrity. You're like, <laughs> yeah. these this, this are the things I've seen on TV. Uh, and so seeing them up close is, is, is pretty cool. And I think it would give you uh, a really good, I don't know, just like feeling for what, 
the physical space of the pit lane is like and so it's it's it just give a, a a different dimension to seeing it on tv and like being able to see into the garage and um just get that that you know on the ground vantage point and just being on the racetrack is yeah. is cool you know like what going from the grandstands to when after the race they open up the track and everyone can walk onto it it, it feels like you're in a different place like it's just it's it's cool so I, yeah i i would definitely do this i imagine the three-hour window is just like you know so they they can you know <laughs> manage the the crowds but uh i i don't imagine it would take that long It'd probably just like you know take half hour or so yeah i think yeah if you're excited with the baseline of i'll just see some cars then it's like a win-win right just go and enjoy it and if something else happens that's cool like i think that's the mentality i take with it is yeah, I just want to see some cool cars because, yeah, seeing them up front is totally different. Yeah, it might also give you a good chance to, you know, figure out how to get to the circuit, how to make your way around the circuit, you know, find your seats, that sort of thing. It's generally what I recommend on practice day um, or, you know, uh, free practice three getting there early. So you don't you're not scrambling to make qualifying and figure everything out. So, you know, if you did this on Thursday, maybe you didn't have to go to see practice maybe you could go uh you know wander around montreal eat some mm. eat some uh poutine, poutine. yeah is that poutine 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 i think it's a different thing that like yeah i think that's a different yep all right anyway sorry everyone um okay i'll take this last email from kevin hi shift f1 team today i attended a talk with the ceo of crowdstrike one of the major sponsors of mercedes <laughs> He told a story about how Toto Wolff directs every employee at Mercedes F1 team to find their equivalent at Red Bull or Ferrari and place a picture of that person on their <laughs> desk. The, oh idea, <laughs> the idea being that everyone from the secretary to the drivers to the janitors should look at that person every day and remember that the goal is to beat that person on the other teams. My question is, what other unique or interesting things have principals or drivers used to motivate their teams? Thank you for the great content every week. Um, if this is true, this is psychopathic. <laughs> I believe it. This is this. I, I 100% believe it. This. Uh, he's got a picture of Christian Horner on his desk. And he just it's like, like uh, <laughs> it's like Lou Ferrigno and pumping iron where he's just like <laughs> yeah. lifting weights to a picture of Arnold just going, Arnold, Arnold. <laughs> um, I wanted to propose the, a, a different question to what Kevin said, which is that what, who would ours, who would we put on our, on our is it like, is there, Will I Buxton. don't know enough of the like WTF1 you, people, but like Did you maybe, say Will Buxton, yes, Rob? Will, Will Buxton. <laughs> uh i would i would put uh and this is this is half half antagonism half like oh i like this guy's lee diffie the mm. uh mm. the australian uh commentator yeah. who used to do nbc sports calls okay yeah nice i might go for a I, in a similar vein of i don't actually not like this person but like i would aspire to be as good as them uh, mm-hmm. like a jimmy broadbent like so you know what okay I mean? like, like yeah like you know, good commentator, I good video game player. I think you're going straight to Eddie Jordan. And I was going to be like, yeah, all right, well, I mean, set your sights high. I I have, I do not have nearly a nice selection of uh, colorful shirts. I, I don't think I could pull that off. I wear probably black shirts almost every day. So Eddie I'm kind Jordan of like is the, one of those characters that I'm, like, he is the most, like, James Hunt and Eddie Jordan, I think, are the two people that I'm like, 
F1 has really changed. Like, you don't understand yes, what it used yes. to be like and who used to be, like, hanging around the grid. Totally, yeah. God, he doesn't even do punditry anymore, I don't think. No, I, was, uh, yeah. I feel like I've seen him occasionally pop up on the Sky broadcast, but uh, definitely, like, in a uh, irregular guest role. But, but yeah, it's what a goofy... <laughs> I always sort of wonder about that stuff, because it's like, I just... Uh, it's the technique is enemy building, and right. I've always kind of w- like whatever works for you. Fine, I've always been really wary about instituting that throughout a culture, and I think the re- like right, not everyone is going to be wired the way Total Wolf is, and I think we are trying to institute that where it's like this is a method that's been really powerful for me. Yes, like you're turning your thing into an exercise in like corporate narcissism, and I don't mm. dig that stuff. It's like where. Ron Dennis, when he built the McLaren Technology Center, um, and he was at the sort of the zenith of his power within McLaren, you know, wanted everyone to have these like beautiful, sparse, minimalist, precision engineered workspaces. And he like passed things down where it's like, you know, you're forbidden from having like personal photos and personal effects on your desk. And it's like, well, okay, now we're just being like, you're not like, now we're just being crazy. Uh, yeah. because like there are some people who find clutter creative like sorry Ron I know it's not your Steve Jobsian like icy minimalist paradise but like <laughs> these are huge collaborative environments and a big part of that thing is leaving space for like certainly offer people techniques but I think the minute you're like and we all should do this um, I think the answer is almost certainly no you shouldn't you should figure yeah, out like there should be space for people to figure out what, what works for them Totally. Like the idea, I a hundred percent agree. And I feel like in 2022, especially people should like know that, that like you can't mandate the way people think or react or encourage themselves or motivate themselves. It's such a personal thing. It's so all over the place. Like, yeah, the idea, like in many ways, like I can, I have a, I can see a lot of that in the way that I have worked over the years and like I do I do a lot of like looking at other people and trying to like see how best I can like ape that or or be inspired by that or have an artistic antagonistic relationship as well but it's like I don't suspect that most people have my sickness <laughs> like I like so it's weird that like he would mandate that if that's the case who knows this crowd strike guy might also just be like fucking telling tall tales or whatever just so he can do his talk <laughs> I feel like I've, I've heard Wolf do this though before yeah. like I, I I do wonder if it is like I think if somebody's like you know what I'm putting my picture of Adrian Newey away <laughs> I don't like I would hope Toto's gonna be like to his like lead aerodynamicist hey where's Adrian why aren't you thinking about <laughs> yeah. what he's doing right now because uh, I would be like sorry man I'm thinking about aerodynamics not Adrian <laughs> um, thanks everyone for the emails at uh, sorry shift f1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.co slash emails yes that is it for emails you can also hit us up at uh, shift f1 podcast at gmail I'm sorry at shift f1 podcast mm at twitter.com uh i'm at drew scanlon that is at danny o'dwyer and at rob zachney that's us around the internet should we take it around the world danny let's race around the way hey 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 who well the isle of man tt concludes oh uh friday and boy boy oh boy yeah boy oh boy yeah three people killed this year oh my i think that's right yeah yeah thoughts with Everyone affected. Jeez Louise. Yeah. I mean, 
we've we've talked about it a lot over the years. There's there's no point in getting into it again. Just but it's it's rough. That's rough, man. Yeah. Uh, the 24 Hours of Le Mans is also this weekend featuring one, the only <laughs> Michel Fassbender. Oh my God. That's right. He is oh. on the official 2022 Le Mans 24 Hours entry list. Oh my God. I can't wait for this year's season of yeah. Road to Le Mans. Yes. Wow. Bins it in the first stint before before sundown. <laughs> Come on, Two I want to see episodes of watching him just like pace in the trailer. I've never been. To, I want that Irishman to get get that flag up on the podium, man. Make mm-hmm. it happen. Uh, the World Superbike Championship is at Misano this weekend. World Circuit, Marcos Cimoncelli. Yes. Uh, Formula 2 is supporting Formula 1 in Baku this weekend. Baku. We've also got the Camp and World Trucks there in our backyard at Sonoma Raceway. Yeah. At uh, for the DoorDash 250. <laughs> it's a very Bay Area sponsorship. It really, it really is. <laughs> uh, IndyCar is at uh, Road America this weekend. Ooh, nice. We've got the Motocross Grand Prix at uh, oh boy, Talkassel in Germany. Talkassel. And we got NASCAR. Oh my. They're also in the great state of California. <laughs> for the Toyota Save Mart 350. Save Mart. Don't 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 know many Save Marts. Nope. I know some Toyotas though. Uh and Formula Two. I'm sorry, nothing, Formula One. Nothing more American than a Toyota. <laughs> That's certainly true. <laughs> Uh, Friday, Formula One kicks off June 10th, free practice one, 7 a.m. Eastern mm. time uh, on ESPN2, followed by free practice two at 10 a.m. Eastern time, ESPN2 also. Saturday, June 11th, free practice three is at 7 a.m. on ESPNU, followed by qualifying at 10 a.m. on ESPN2. And the race, everyone, Sunday, June 12th, 7 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN. Looking forward Final to it. Final thoughts? Baku's a good time. Hey, look. Hey, look, man. We we can wait another 12 months to complain about Monaco. It's in the rearview mirror. We just, we mm-hmm. complain for that one week. That's it. Hey, we should get rid of Monaco. Don't get rid of Monaco. It's part of, what would the triple crown be? Don't worry about it. We got a better street circuit coming up. Baku. Yeah, we got cool it's like, Monaco. We got cool Monaco. <laughs> no casinos, no rich people. Well, there's probably a lot of rich people there. It's a yeah. It's a, it's a Petra <laughs> state. Yeah, it's a Petra state. So I'll take it back. Uh, different type of rich person. Um, but hey, they race here. Also, history and and fast parts and overtaking. Overtaking. Imagine Monaco and overtaking. Final thoughts, Rob. Yeah, I mean, this has become one of my favorite tracks, and it is. It is such a unique place. Uh, every single lap feels like a high wire act. Uh, and it does seem to generate a lot of memorable races uh, just from the strain it puts on the cars and the drivers. Uh, so I'm, I'm always excited for this one. And now that we've cursed it. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yep, we've done the reverse curse. Now it's time for the forward curse. Uh, all right, well, that is it for us this week. If you would like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you could do so over at 
patreon.com slash shipdef1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.